All right, and welcome to another episode of the Market Pulse podcast, where we are going to review in depth technical analysis and market news that matters to you and your investments. And we're going to be going over that in just one second. But before we do, let's get our risk disclaimer out to make my attorneys happy, and we will get started right away. So stay tuned and let's jump into this. All right, guys, welcome. Welcome to the Market Pulse podcast. And today we have quite a lineup. And to start things off, I have a new uh, framework that we're operating inside of in terms of how we're doing the podcast. And we'll make some modifications going forward also. But I'm excited to kind of play around with this. There may be some hiccups along the way. Uh, but bear with me as we make this transition and really take the dull data and make it spiced up a little bit so it's a little easier for your consumers. Uh, for you to consume. So we're actually going to go into what I am now calling our bulls, brains, and, or excuse me, our bulls, bears, and brain farts, which is really our time to corner the psychological aspect to our trading, which I actually believe is probably 75 to 80% of your success when it comes to investing in the market is the machinery, right? It's the motor behind uh, or underneath the engine, or it's the engine underneath the hood. It's the rubber that actually meets the road where it's more than just an idea or a tool. It's really the thing that's going to make the biggest difference when it comes to your investments. And so jumping into that, I'm going to pull up our segue and then we'll jump right into this psychology of trading uh, aspect of ours that I'm now calling bulls, bears, and brain farts. So here we go. So transitioning over, I want to bring up, and I've got some fun stuff to share that kind of ties in with all this, but let's go in. I've got a training that I'm going to go through. I normally do this in about 30 minutes, and I'm going to try to cut it down to 15 because we just have so much to cover, but I want to go over this with you guys and really give you a sense of how much fantasy versus what's real is impacting your trading and is impacting your overall wealth uh, when it comes to numbers and zeros in your bank account. This was a uh, fun event I got to do with my boys with the Utah Jazz. Sorry if you're not a big Utah Jazz fan. Uh, they're obviously not doing that great this year, so if you have some other leading team, uh, you probably don't see them as a threat. However, as a diehard Utah Jazz fan, I think we've got a lot of legs for the upcoming years, and I think our coach is doing a great job. Obviously, you can follow me on TikTok and YouTube. And the topic we're going to be going over today is the difference between fantasy and reality. And you might be going, Matt, like, how does this impact my trading? How does this impact uh, how money occurs and money uh, comes to me? And once we get done with this, just to set you up in your listening, you will hear exactly how your false sense of reality is negatively impacting your overall financial situation. And you might even take away some truths that you weren't aware of, some Things that you actually thought were real or you're dealing with fantasy, where in fact, the truth was something else. And just knowing the truth will radically change your direction. So here we go. So fantasy, is, here's the definition. It's the faculty or activity of imagining things, especially things that are impossible or improbable. And 
fantasy is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with fantasy. We all like a good book or a good novel or, you know, even the stories we tell around the campfire. Storytelling is really the art of creating fantasy. It's how we create fantasies. And as humans or as people, we are amazing storytellers, aren't we? And we do this in so many different ways. And let me explain some of those ways. One is we uh, find fantasy in books, right? We find it very often in movies, in the performing arts, on theater, in paintings, and in drawings. We hear it often in music and in oral storytelling, like around the campfire. You know, we love, and probably that was probably some of the earliest dates of us telling fantasies. Now, like I said, fantasy is not wrong, and there's nothing wrong uh, in and of itself with fantasy. However, the cardinal sin in fantasy is that we live like it's true. What What's the old saying? The most deadliest, deadliest truth is the truth you think is so that just ain't so, or the truth the most dangerous truth is the one you think is so and just ain't so, or something like this. But I'm totally botching that. But the reality is truth when you think it's real, or a falsehood when you think it's real, and it isn't real, but you're acting like it is, are the truths, quote-unquote, that get you in the most trouble. And so it's important to know the difference. It's not right or wrong to have fantasy in your life or to like fantasy. You just need to know the difference of when it's actually fantasy and not. Because if you mistake, if you mistake in fantasy with truth, it's going to get you in a lot of trouble, especially in the markets, right? Like you just can't live that way. So fantasy can create reality as it has with many past fantasy shows, books, and comics uh, that we're often exposed to children. So I just want you to see this as like, it's not bad. You know, I, I've got all this these Star Trek references on the right, but like the cell phone, the ability to communicate without a wire. Star Trek came up with that way before we had it. This idea of having like teleporters or uh, like mobile devices that calculated things. None of that existed when these fantasies came out. And they often inspire us as a human race to what could be next. We just want to make sure that we don't think it's actually here or it's not actually happening when it's not. Now, here are some warnings around fantasy. The only real danger around fantasy is you will confuse it with reality, like we were talking about. This can lead, I don't say it can, it will. It will lead to pain and suffering. And common signs of pain and suffering are, so this is where you want to listen to see if you're maybe not in reality with something. Feelings of anxiety. Feelings of anxiety are often a indicator that you are not aligned with truth. You're not aligned with reality. Fear around something. Unless it's a saber-toothed tiger, which is valid, or it's a bus coming at you. There's really nothing out there much to fear now as a human race. Depression. Depression can often be an indicator that you are not dealing with reality. Now, this might be a truth that's bigger than something tangible and measurable. It might be a truth for you that you're not being with. It's a truth for yourself that you're not living up to. Or maybe uh, you've allowed some societal pressure to push you in a box that you just, frankly, you just don't feel comfortable with. And you need to rest from acting this part in society that uh, maybe isn't actually for you. Stress often is correlated with a fantasy. Uh, and going back, I think the last thing on here was all leads to health issues. So if you're having some type of he health issue that's not directly correlated to, you know, you getting cut or being in 
in some type of accident, but this is like a stress-induced type uh, health issue, or maybe it's a autoimmune disorder. Most of those scientists have found are often uh, tied to anxiety, fear, depression, and stress. And it's just the body trying to tell the, the mind, like, hey, there's something to look at here. Just like when you get a cut on yourself, you feel the pain so that you bandage it and you properly take care of it so that it can heal. It's the same with mental health issues. And you might look at some of the ones that you're experiencing as a strong indicator that you're not being with reality around something in your life. Now, what fantasy isn't or is not? Fantasy is not the truth, at least now, like we talked about. It could be in the future, but at least now in the present, it is not. It does not mean that it is not real or true in the future or doesn't live in some future possibility, but fantasy is possible, however, not certain. And fantasy often created, uh, it creates this unrealistic expectation, which can also contribute to the pain and suffering we're talking about. So unrealistic expectations are not truth. Things that you're like, well, I'm going to get my, my mile under two minutes. It's like, is that even feasibly possible as a human being? You might be setting your expectation way out of the norm. Now, to do it 10 seconds under the world record, is it possible? Probably. Uh, do you have the mechanics? Do you have the, the body type to make that possible? I don't know. Uh, but these would be things to consider. And you want to set, make sure you're setting realistic expectations, like with the market. You can't wish the market to go past what's realistic. And a lot of people just don't understand the principles of what caused the market to move up and down. And they set insanely unrealistic expectations. And I see that in videos and in classes and with people that frankly don't know what they're talking about when it comes to the market. Now, past fantasy, let's talk about that because there's a past and future type fantasies. Past fantasies are not wrong also and can be extremely dangerous. So it's like not wrong, but can be dangerous. So look out for this. We get trapped when the fantasy of the past is wishing that something in reality that has already happened shouldn't have. Do you hear that one? It's when there's something that happened to us that we think it shouldn't have happened. Well, it did. And living like it shouldn't have is not real. I get it was hard. I get it was stressful. But you get to take responsibility for what you're going to do with it going forward. And that could be you made a bad business decision. You invested in the wrong things. You made a mistake. And it's like, is that painful? Yeah. Do you wish it hadn't happened? Sure. But you get to deal with it emotionally so that you're prepared with how to deal with it more powerfully in the future. If you don't take responsibility for that, how could you ever have any power around your financial situation? You just couldn't. You'd be a victim to it. And then making money is like a gamble to you. And I, we all know what happens to people who win the lotto. You could also say that we think it should have happened differently when in reality what happened is what happened and there is nothing that you can do about it. Past fantasy can be upgraded. I find that it's often in stories we can upgrade our version of the past. And as long as that's helpful, I'm not opposed to, to fantasy stories still, as long as it's an upgrade from the one that maybe you had before. So as long as you're aware, it's still kind of fantasy because you're storytelling. That's fine. But just be careful because there are some traps in that uh there is a big difference between being completely in reality around something versus having an upgraded story. All right, so now there's future fantasy. What's going going to happen? This worry about the future. Future fantasies also not wrong and can be extremely dangerous. 
Where we get trapped is when the fantasy of the future is expected or assumed. And we see this all the time in like relationships or like what someone said they were going to do with my money and how it like was supposed to get a certain return back. We see this uh, with like the ideas of like someone else that we've been following and we were following and investing with them. We had this expectation of a certain return. We see this all the time with that. You could also say that we think it should have happened the way we fantasized about when in reality it happened or it's going to happen completely a different way. So by dropping expectations and assumptions, we get with reality and results is all we ever see. And in fact, I have a completely, maybe I'll do this next week, I have a completely other training around psychology that has to do with just this piece, having expectations and having this attachment to the future versus commitment. And there's a huge distinction between those two that will radically upgrade how you deal with your money in really all areas of your life. Now, fantasies have blind spots. Like, that's one of the dangers of a fantasy. And fantasy blind spots are not things you know. Otherwise, you'd see them. You You actually think this thing is true. You think your story about what someone did to you is true. You think your uh, story about what happened to you around money is true. Whatever. The blind spot is you're dealing with it like it's the truth. And you actually don't even know it's there. It's like you're about to turn into the car next to you. You didn't even know it was there. And he's honking at you. And you're like, gosh, how did I not see that? You have these. Specifically when it comes to money. You have fantasy blind spots. And I hope during this next piece you can start to maybe uncover what maybe some of those are so you can deal with them going forward. Things you think you know that are not in reality or are true is where people get stuck around this. And think of the things you are unwilling to do that would have you be with reality. Often our blind spots have something to do with an action piece that we are just unwilling to do. Well, I'm not going to do that. They need to apologize. Okay, that's an interesting one. Or, no, that's just how it was and there was nothing I could have done about it. Oh, really? Nothing you could have done about it? When we're a victim to the results or the uh, actual output of some input we put in, and then we avoid taking 100% responsibility, you are likely blinded to something you could have done different that would have gotten you a different result. I believe in a world of infinite possibilities, and I believe that in any interaction, in any case scenario that you're trying to get and pull a result out of, that there is one out of infinite possibility to get your result. And yes, I get it's infinite, and maybe it's just one that would have got you that, but there's still the one. And if you don't take responsibility for discovering what it would have taken to get the one, how in the world are you ever going to have the life that you've always wanted, especially when it comes to money? So, As a warning, the most common blind spots is thinking others have them and you don't. So a lot of us being on this train is like, oh, Matt, this this part of the train is not even for me. This is for somebody else. It's like, okay, well, if you need some coaching, give me a call. I've only got room for 10 clients a year. Most of them are filled up, but uh, there's probably something in your way. You'll hear the difference also in people's language, uh, how they talk. It's often, or how you hear yourself even talk just is a dead giveaway that there's a blind spot running. If you're not taking feedback, if all you leave with is a sense of being right or your ego being propped up, you are probably disassociated with reality. 
So just let that sink in about some past failure, some financial investment that didn't go well, maybe a trade that you thought was going to go a certain way and didn't. And if you're not willing to take the feedback, if all you're doing is saying excuses and why it should have worked and you're complaining, uh, complaints are a huge indicator, by the way, excuses are a huge indicator of a blind spot. If that's what's going on, that's probably a good opportunity to say, I should look for some feedback. There's probably something here that I'm not seeing. Now, living in reality is such a gift and it takes willingness. Living in reality is not something that we just develop. It takes practice. Uh, because as we've grown up from children to adults, we've actually learned a lot of mistruths. Children actually are the best at this. They live in reality way more than we do. And that's why they say kind of socially unacceptable things is because they're just in reality. They're like, well, you're fat. Well, you're skinny. Well, you got a big nose. And it's like, well, that's the truth, you know? And it's like, shh, you shouldn't say that. And so we start learning that we should lie and we should stop living in reality because of people's feelings and their emotions or whatever. It takes, billing, it takes being willing to be wrong and willing to see things differently to live in reality, to get these blind spots removed. And this is actually the access to what you want, is your willingness to be wrong. In fact, I remember taking a pledge that it's like, I look forward to being wrong. In fact, I want to embrace it. It's like, I want to live a life of constantly learning that I'm wrong. And I like actually get a really big carrot out of it when I discover something that from my past, it's like, wow, I really had it off, didn't I? And it's like, and the truth and like everything starts to feel lighter and your life starts working more. Things start being attracted to you faster. It's just such a revelation. All right, so living in reality. I've noticed also that expectations we hold on others are a reflection of how we manage the truth. Well, you should have done this. You should have done that. This should have happened. The market should have turned around. Expectations have you believe things or people should be respond they should be responding or acting the way you think is right and the truth here's the carrot the truth is you get to learn how to be with reality stop trying to change your mom stop trying to change your dad stop trying to get the market to go up or down it is the way it is and the moment you accept that people and things are the way that they are then you can go, oh, maybe I can adjust to how this is happening. Ever notice that like you have a problem with someone out there in the world and you're like, well, I just don't want to deal with them. They're such a pain in the A, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, isn't it interesting that other people are hanging around them? What about them is able to be with that person? What's going on with you? Like they're just the way they are. They're saying the things the way they are. They don't have to mean all the things that you're making it mean. What if you could just learn to be with that and have a total different interpretation of like how they're speaking, what they're saying, and the meaning behind all of it? So deal with that. You see, if we just lived in reality with how people were, you could actually be responsible to do something about it, whether the thing is uh, or whatever the thing is, like whatever the thing happens to be. And this happens to do with the markets also. Like, let's just replace it. What if you just lived in reality with how the market actually is? And you could be responsible to do something about it, whatever the thing happens to be. Like the market, I don't care how much you wish or pray, the market turns a certain direction. You do not have that power to, to persuade it, at least on a micro level. You would stop pretending like it's your job to be 100% responsible. You stop pretending like it's not your job to be 100% responsible for the outcome of the thing wanted, and you would get right into action around being with reality. You might 
try some new things. You might play, yes, you might fail, but you'd at least try it differently next time. So here's the secret, and this is not a book. Here's a real secret. You really don't know anything. This is like the position to hold. When you realize this, more and more reality unveils itself and has you see more truth. The more you can just really get, I don't know anything, the more truth is just going to unravel. And this pattern has you see you really don't know anything, and then the cycle repeats. And the more the truth that shows itself, the more you really start seeing, oh my gosh, I had no clue how this really was. I wonder how much more surprised I'm going to be in the future. And you start really at least personally, I really started getting a sense of like, wow, I want to have a passion for being wrong. I want to find it and learn when and why I'm wrong so I can do something about it. So not knowing is really kind of an uncertain place. We don't like uncertainty, and this is probably why we don't live in this space very much. But isn't it fascinating that how living in a space of always being curious, being willing to be wrong, and not having issues with missing the mark, it actually opens doors. It doesn't close it, even though it may feel uncomfortable to not know. Reprogramming is all that's required and is only necessary in your thinking. And this has to do with your trading. This has to do with your investments and how you deal with money. Your judgments that the problem is over there is another way to hear the trap. Well, the problem isn't me. The problem is this thing. It's this tool. It's this person. That's a great indicator that the problem is actually over here. It's like the judgment, one finger pointing out, three fingers pointing back. It's like, oh, right. Every time I look over there, what I'm actually saying to myself is a mere three times back to myself that that's my problem. So who would have guessed, right? Who would have thought that like your financial situation largely has to do with your ability to be with reality? Not knowing has always been the answer. It's not something you need to know to get access to truth. It's what you think you know that just ain't so. There it is. There's the quote. It's the thing you think you know that just ain't so. That's the dangerous truth. All right. So we're going to move into our next segment here. And I've got a fun new uh, spin on this. We're going to talk about this is what I'm calling our snooze you lose section where we talk about relevant news over the last week. And Jerome Powell really was the guy who I think uh, really took headlines this week on this interview on 60 Minutes. And so let me pull up this snooze you can lose. And we are going to uh, move into this next segment. So here we go. Breaking news. What you're about to see may disturb you. All right, so let's jump right in, and what I'm going to show is Jerome Powell. This is a very rare thing that I have never actually seen happen. Jerome Powell got highlighted on 60 Minutes, and I took some segments out that I'm going to play for you. It was an hour, and I'm going to play you like five minutes total, two different segments of really what I took as the highlights and takeaways, so you don't have to watch the whole thing. You can. Uh, However, I will give you kind of a cliff note snap version of what was said there. But let's go to Jerome Powell. And what I want to talk about here, where's Jerome Powell? Here we go. We're going to go over this interview and a couple things that he said that I just, I couldn't get away, but also 
uh, help explain where we are in the state of the economy. And this is this one in particular has to do with rate cuts, and then we're going to talk about another segment that happened in the beginning. So let's hear from Jerome Powell. Down now. We wondered about an interest rate cut in the next committee meeting in March. I think it's not likely that this committee will reach that level of confidence in time for the March meeting, which is in seven weeks. The next committee vote then would be in May. How would you characterize the consensus around this table for rate cuts? Is everyone on board? Almost all. Almost all of the uh, 19 participants who sit around this table uh, believe that it will be appropriate in their most likely case for us to cut the, the federal funds rate this year. Cuts in the federal funds rate would likely be a quarter, maybe half a percentage point at a time, as long as inflation data remain good. We just want to see more good data along those lines. It doesn't need to be better than what we've seen, or even as good. It just needs to be good. And so we do expect to see that. All right, so what are we talking about? Well, Jerome Powell, as the head over the Federal Reserve, is really in charge of taming inflation, keeping markets uh, stable, and frankly, it has the lever to make rates go up and down. So when rates were going up, Jerome Powell and the committee that votes on whether rates should go up or down, he represents the head and the voice and the group of those individuals. We were expecting rate cuts this first quarter. It was priced in. And we are now hearing from Jerome Powell to slow down. We are hearing, not right now, it's not going to happen in March, maybe in May. And we're talking quarter point to maybe half a point drop. So not we saw three quarter point uh, hikes um, multiple times, actually, during the pandemic. We're talking about incremental drops down, so we're not like obviously throwing some fuel on the fire somewhere. But what Jerome Powell is pointing to is promising and should provide some quantitative easing in the markets, which if you're looking to refinance your house or get a loan or uh, maybe struggling with the new rates, there is a light at the end of this tunnel that's saying rates will be lower. However, one of my little tips that I would give you is if banks are offering you high-end CD accounts at like 5 5.5% 5 right now, those will drop. In fact, that might be getting priced in as we speak. So you might want to leverage those for the short time that we may have. It may only be six months that you can lock those in at. But the moment that we have a rate drop, those returns are going to drop significantly in CDs, but then we'll see it on the benefit side uh, on lending. Uh, here's another segment that I really liked uh, from Jerome Powell, and this is a different segment uh, towards the beginning, which really uh, gives a really more broad stroke of what's going on in the economy and how are we actually doing taming inflation right now. So let's hear from Jerome on this. Is inflation dead? I wouldn't go quite so far as that. Uh, what I can say is that inflation has come down really over the past year and fairly sharply over the past six months. We're making good progress. The job is not done, and we're, we're very much committed to making sure that we fully restore price stability for the benefit of the public. But inflation has been falling steadily for 11 months. Right. You've avoided a recession. Why not cut the rates now? Well, uh, we, uh, we have a strong economy. Uh, growth is going on at a, at, a, at a solid pace. The labor market is strong, 3.7% unemployment. 
With the economy strong like that, we, we feel like we can approach the question of when to begin to uh, reduce interest rates carefully. And we, you know, we want to see more evidence that inflation is moving sustainably down to 2%. We have some confidence in that. Our confidence is rising. We just want some more confidence before we take that very important step of, step of beginning to, to cut interest rates. We just want to see Inflation more. has fallen from just over 9% to about 3%, near the Fed's ultimate goal of 2%. Why is your target rate 2%? Interest rates always include uh, an estimate of future inflation. If that estimate is 2%, that means you'll have 2% more that you can cut in, your, in interest rates. The central bank will have more ammunition more power to fight a downturn if rates are a little bit higher. Are you committed to getting all the way to 2.0 before you cut the rates? No, no, that's not what we say at all, no. Um, we're committed to returning inflation to 2% over time. Uh, I've said that we, we wouldn't wait to get to 2% to, to cut rates. We met Powell in the Federal Reserve boardroom where this committee meets every six weeks or so to set the so-called federal funds interest rate, which influences most loans. Last week, Powell announced the rate would stay at its 23-year high, about 5.5%, unchanged for six months. You disappointed a lot of people on Wednesday. I can't overstate how important it is to restore price stability, by which I mean inflation is low and predictable and people don't have to think about it in their daily lives. That's where we were for 20 years. We want to get back to that. Moving too soon would set off inflation again. You could, or you could just halt the progress. I, I think more likely, uh, if you move too soon, you'd see inflation settling out somewhere well above our 2% target. And what is the danger of moving too late? If you move too late, then you might, you might uh, policy would be too tight, and that could easily weigh on economic activity and on, on the labor market. Maybe so, a recession. Right, and we have to, we have to balance those two risks. There, there is no you know, easy, simple, obvious path. Right. So there is Jerome Powell on the state of the economy and uh, this inflation target of 2% that's so important. You can hear in Jerome's sentiment that it's really, there's not a bias towards getting the economy up. It's, there's not a bias around whether we go really into a recession or even unemployment. Those are not data points that really concern them. Their overall goal and target, Jerome Powell's overall goal is price stability in the market because if you can have price stability all other things typically start to fall into place and as he said we've had 20 years of really great price stability and the inflation that we've had has been really expensive and america has felt the consequences of that now as he said in the interview he's not necessarily going to wait for us to hit two percent we're not there we're over three percent right now however making some adjustments two percent is the target rate and it's because we don't like seeing prices go up at a drastic uh, at a drastic slope because it's really hard for business and people to adjust when inflation's happening like that. And often jobs and pay do not keep up with those things. And so it has a negative impact that way also. All right. So moving out of our snoozed you lose, let's go into our next segment that I really like where it's called uh, We Effed Up. And this is a segment where we go over 
uh, certain principles in the market, certain mistakes that are commonly made inside the market. And I wanted to make a highlight one uh, that became very present to me as we're hitting all-time highs in the S&P 500. So let's move into that. Uh, we All right, so going into this segment, I'm going to highlight a video around a principle that I think we often miss when investing in the stock market, and that is the idea that you can time the market, that you could take your whole portfolio, pull out somehow at the top, and then somehow buy back in at the bottom. Let me share a story, I think, that encapsulates this idea. Uh, I remember my father buying their first home as a child, or not actually first, this was like our second or third home that we had actually purchased. We rented most of my life. And we moved back from Arizona into California, and we bought a house when I was in high school. And we bought this house for like $148,000, I think. And it was just a rambler, small home, not the best neighborhood, but you know, there you go. And went through all of high school, a couple years after high school, uh, into college, my dad, the prices were astronomical, and uh, the market value of the home was over $300,000, so almost doubled in price. But let me tell you what my dad did that really captures this principle. When we bought the house, and I remember being a freshman in high school when this happened, when we bought the house, all I ever heard him talk about was how he bought for $10,000 more than a house across the street that had the same square footage, same yard, same floor plan. And he complained about this all the time. And then when he sold the house, six, it had been about six years later, some in that, somewhere in that time frame, and doubled his money, by the way, he complained about how the house across the street sold for ten dollars to $20,000 more. And you could really, and by the way, as far as timing the market, it was like immaculate. He was within probably 5% of the bottom and the top when he bought and sold. This is an unheard of idea. But the principle is, is we still feel robbed even when we get close. And there's a principle that Warren Buffett really hits hard in this video as an answer to how do I really manage my money over time? And what are the tools in place that I use? And I'll, I'll add some commentary to this also. So let's hear from Warren Buffett and a question where he was asked, how do you time the market? My question is, how do you time the big market moves so well? <laughs> the, uh, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, obviously, we haven't the faintest idea what the stock market is going to do when it opens on Monday. We never have had. We have never made, Charlie and I, I don't think, in all the time we've worked together, and I'll tell you something later on maybe about how learning takes place, but we have, we have never, uh, I don't think we've ever made a decision that where either one of us has either said or been thinking we should buy or sell based on what the market is going to do. Uh, no. Or, or for that matter, on, on what the economy is going to do. We, we don't know. Yeah, great principle. And the reason I bring this up, and you'll see in my S&P 500 review at the end of this, there are a lot of people who were predicting a stock market crash and because of that, pulled their money into the sidelines. 
and we are now at an all-time high in the S&P 500. And if you missed that climb, or maybe even sold while it was bottoming out and then had to buy back in right now, you are sitting at a significant drawdown in your overall return in the S&P 500. When it comes to building wealth, when it comes to buying stocks, when it comes to investing, it's more about what your tools are saying, what your valuations and rules are to buy a stock or get into a trade, than it is the timing of what you think tomorrow is going to do based on fundamentals. Who knows what tomorrow is going to do? Who knows what news is going to come out or some surprise that's going to happen? You really don't know. But you can follow basic principles when it comes to making money, when it comes to investing, that frankly, you can do a long-haul strategy where you just uh, price average. You just put money in every month into a certain market. And if you'd done that in the S&P 500, it would, be, would have been largely profitable over the last uh, few decades, by the way. Or you could put it in at the end of every year, same idea, price averaging every year, but to time it just based on like, oh, I think this is the bottom and oh, this is, I think this is a top is an impossible task. And frankly, it's uh, in most cases a gamble unless you're doing it on a smaller scale or uh, you have some technical uh, analysis advantage, which we, we talk about here or something else is going on. So that's really our we effed up principle is that if you got out early of the market and didn't leave your money in and exposed to the market during this last dip, today you might be saying the same thing that happened in the hangover where you're saying we really effed up and we're a little late to the game. Doesn't mean you shouldn't get back in, but uh, you might be a little late. So moving into my next segment, this is our time to go over uh, real estate. We just got the data and the numbers in. And so I want to bring up uh, an app, and then I'll pull up the data on our side. But let's go ahead and dive into this, uh, and I'll bring up this fun little segment. We're calling this From Baltic to Boardwalk. So let's bring up that video, and then we'll transition into this. Closing time. Open all the doors and let you out into the world. All right, so from Baltic to Boardwalk, let's dive into our real estate segment. And uh, this time I'm going to bring up a subscription that I love and I would recommend it to our users, which uh, comes from Altos Research. So if you haven't been on Altos Research, this is a great place to do uh, and get data from a zip code or city, and I'll show you how it works, and kind of what the sentiment is right now. We've moved from buyer, we've moved from like seller's market to somewhat buyer's market back into seller's market. Uh, I've predicted on a national level, and you'll see it in my data here in a minute, that we have bottomed out in the residential real estate market at least for the next 18 to 24 months. That's my prediction don't make a bunch of decisions just based off of that. But my prediction is that we have hit the bottom in the real estate market for the next 18 to 24 months and can only see gains. And there's a lot of variables that are playing into this. A lot of it has to do with money on the sidelines and our massive supply issue. But just check this out. I'll just research. You can go on here. You can see that this gives us the data, meeting listing from uh, per square foot, average data on market, 
relisted percentages, inventory, median rents, and this is Tampa, Florida. So Tampa, Florida, you can see a slight seller advantage. So you can see like they have this really nice gauge. But let's go into like another area. Let's go into Salt Lake City, which is my local county. And you can see slightly higher and higher, by the way, than last month. So you can see the previous month sentiment compared to this month. And look at median price is going through the roof. You can see that there's a massive climb in median price. Square footage is dropping, so you're getting less for more money. Relists are up to 10%. Price increases are up by 5%. Price decreases are down, or price decreases are up by 37 or at 37%, but you can see based on the slope are dropping. There are way less price decreases than before. Market actions at 48. Median rents is about 2,200. Inventory continuing to drop. So really easy snapshot of what's happening in market. So you could go anywhere in the world. Let's look at uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles is about par to where it was last month, but look at median price skyrocketed in the last month. Uh, I'm also interested in inventory. Inventory is dropping back down into an all-time low. Relist count is up, so I'd be a little cautious about this, but price increases are at 4%. Price decreases are dropping. There's more, or there are less homes dropping their price right now. Average day on market seems to be dropping. It's really cool. You get these little baby charts, and then if you want to click into any of this, you can get more data uh, based on your subscription. Let's go to the East Coast. Uh, how about, let's look at Tampa. Uh, or we already did Tampa. Let's look at Texas. Let's look at Dallas. Oh, if I could spell right. Here's Texas. A little better than last month. You can see, and it's it's calculating in all these factors, by the way. You can see median price dropped. And like uh, we saw here in Utah, I, I would say bottomed out. And now we're starting to see a climb. Median price of new listings is dropping, though. Uh, price for square foot is going up a little bit. So we're seeing kind of an inverse curve on a lot of this. But relistings, price increases 4%. Price decreases kind of hit a slope. Median days on market is flattening out. Uh, average days on market flattening out. And so this is what's leading to a lot of my prediction around like where are we going next. Let me show you my data on this. And by the way, any of you can get access to these charts. I host this free and update it at the beginning of every month. So you get it way before any of the news or any of the articles that come out about real estate. You can save this link by scanning this QR code and getting the link. This is an open document to the public. You can click through all of these tabs on the bottom and get what the national data is, is uh, what the national data is. Uh, in real time, rather than having to wait, in some cases, up to 30 days late uh, for the report. But let me share what I'm seeing here. Median listing price, we've kind of hit an all-time high, dropped off. All-time secondary high, we'd call this like a high-low. And then the bottom is above the previous. And so what would you predict in the climb during spring to summer? What do you think will happen to this climb? Well, if I were to draw it in, based on how we typically do like a down towards the winter, up during the summer, down, up, down, up. 
it's likely going to hit an all-time high again. That would be my guess, my prediction based on this. And there's some fundamental stuff like new all this money on the sidelines, rates starting to drop. That's It's going to put more pressure on the real estate market. Average listing price just ticked up. And you can see the swings. These are seasonal. Where is this going to end up by summer? Probably higher than it was before. You can see price increase count. For the first time in a long time, the number of price increases is it going up, not down? You can see price reductions are going up. So uh, very slightly, but in this trend, you can see, and that's, by the way, that's news. Like this little indication means that people probably that are holding their homes for too long, for too much, are starting to sell off. But that might be a winter effect. And I would guess to see this taper off. Median listing price per square foot. Uh, it's pretty sideways, part of why I'm calling it uh, the bottom. Pending ratio is starting to tick back up. If this thing s- scoops back up, it means that there's more homes selling than being added to listings. And we actually have that problem. Look at this. New listing count, it did come up, but is at an all-time low. Even if it climbs as much as it was before because it hit a lower low, we're likely going to see a dip into lower inventory, even less homes for sale, which will keep prices up. Doesn't even mean it doesn't even matter if people have the money to buy them. If there's no inventory, prices stay up. It's just simple supply and demand, guys. Active listing count is dropping. And we're this is seasonal, but also again, guys, it's pre it's pre the previous year. It's lower than it was the year before. And then you have total listing count. And the trend is hardcore dropping, pending listings, uh, flattening off. We would want, this is back in normal territory, by the way, but this is like how many are closing. If things stay normal and we have less supply and less active listings going to the market, how many doesn't matter. The active is just going to continue to drop. Then we have median square feet. You can see that people are just getting less for more. And then here's the median days on market. Uh, is going up, but not back to its all-time high. And you can see that this was in 1.1, and this is 1.1. We are below the high of median days on market from last year. So this is obviously going to drop back down and maybe below where it was in May, like it says here. It, it dropped radically, by the way. And this is just seasonal. For those of you who don't know real estate, days on market, as soon as January hits, it just starts going down, 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 down. That's the historical trend. Homes sell faster when the grass starts getting greener. And then after about May, it slowly creeps up and slowly starts uh, days on market or how long the house stays available slowly starts to creep up until about the fall. And then it gets, if you list a home in the fall, you're going to be sitting on it longer than most people. All right. So that wraps up this segment. We're going to go into my very last but most favorite segment where we get to do some trading. We are now calling this our sheep get slaughtered segment. So let me pull that up. Such a fun uh, segue. Let's bring this up and we'll get started. Ever wonder why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500? Because they're sheep and sheep get slaughtered. So this is where we get real and we get into the details of how to actually do an analysis. We're going to go through last week's. The market is closed now. It is 
44 p.m. And so I'm going to be giving you some predictions into tomorrow as this comes out uh, Friday. And really, I'm giving you a look into next week from a technical analysis standpoint. Like Warren Buffett said, though, sometimes you can't predict the way the market's going to go because some news comes out. And we saw that right into Monday after our analysis last week with uh, gold. It stayed within the channel on this. And let me just bring this up. But in terms of where the price action, we predicted it to stay. And by the way, this was a perfectly good analysis. I would not take this back on any given day. We were just wrong. And it was like our one out of how many ever many that we were wrong on. That's why we set up our stops. That's why you set up your targets. However, we are in a new trend because of this. Our support at 2014, 24, uh, definitely held. So if you made a trade and put the stop outside this level, you're still sitting in it. And I would say that's not a bad thing. You've got uh, decent support at that level. However, this trend is dead and we are going to undo this. So let's delete this. We talked about the secondary market possibly going into here after that breakout. It actually did that. But that was my third prediction point in terms of likelihood and it happened. It wasn't the most likely scenario, but it did happen. And so let's go into this and give you a good snapshot on gold. Like what's going to happen going into next week? Well, we're kind of getting a trend that's going down here, but I don't have enough highs and lows that are setting up what that trend looks like. So I'm not going to draw anything in there. We're really at a point where we're just going to use horizontal support and resistance lines. So this makes today pretty easy. This is the trading territory. The all-time high here is not something I'm interested in, so I am going to put some new support here. And I'm going to draw in really quick where the price is just going to want to stay. Obviously, you're going to have concentrated trading in the center of this. So lots of activity, lots of price action that's going to want to stay in this region. And then I'm going to do something fun that shows that it also is going to want to go outside of this region more into this territory, but it's less likely. And so we'll give it a one. And so what you want to be doing with this, oh, I did this backwards, that's a one. And this is a three. There we go. So what you want to be doing with this is really simple. When it starts getting uh, closer to the 2014, price, you want to be looking for a buy and setting your stops outside of that price. When it gets up towards this 2059 level, you want to sell and you want to set up your stops outside that level. And you want to be grabbing it somewhere close to the middle. You want to be putting your take profits somewhere here in the middle. And this is a pretty likely scenario for when you don't have nonlinear support and resistance levels or these uh, non-horizontal, you could call them, support and resistance levels. We're not in any real strong trend. It is somewhat short, but this kind of turn pattern that's happened with the candles says that that short trend is likely over and we're just seeing a lot of sideways pressure and that's why this pennant is kind of coming to a head. Uh, I will draw this in, but don't give this a lot of merit. This is a price pennant, meaning that the pressure around this is mounting. And so what happens when the price mounts means tomorrow, Friday, we're probably going to see a a big break to the up or the downside, but it will likely stay within these support resistance levels. 
Let's talk about S&P 500. We nailed our S&P 500 trade. You guys can clearly see that here. We got our first prediction just perfect. This channel is holding up so well right now. We're staying inside of the channel. The, the top level, like we always said, right, the, the high price is always going to act as resistance. It's holding up really nicely. So we said that. Remember, even numbers, 5,000. See if I can blow this up a little bit so you can see it. 5,000 is a rounded number that I just said price is going to hit it and there's going to be so many orders pushing against it that it's very likely it's going to break through that. What did it do? It hit 5,000 and it didn't want to break. I mean, this is common sense, guys, once you've been doing this for a while. We saw the channel. We liked the channel. We're still in the channel. And so now what do we get to do? We get to extend it. So I'm going to shrink this up really tight so I can get my channel dialed in and extended. And we're going to delete our prediction points. And let's just extend this out quite a ways. I'm going to really blow this up. Okay, and then let's tighten this up. And there it is. Beauty. So what happens when technicals, when you've got this trend going into a very strong resistance? Well, the most likely is it's still going to hold. So my first prediction is price is going to want to live and is more likely to be in this space over the next two days. Why? It's just how it happens. Unless there's some fundamental news that comes out, which can happen, just like Buffett said, you can't predict the fundamentals of tomorrow. But technically, this is more advantageous. It's going to stay below 5,000. Right now, you're actually sitting on the trade, like right now. So like sell and uh, I'm just telling you what I would do. Again, guys, none of this is actual trade advice. You need to do your own homework, but this is what I would be doing in this case. I would be selling right now. It's easy to put a really tight stop right above 5,000, and you could capture anything down here. And the likelihood of this happening is much more likely than not. That doesn't mean you'll get it right, but it is much more likely than not. And if you have any negative news tomorrow, it is going to drive it in support of this resistance level that we have. Now, second to this, price eventually is going to want to start coming up here. It's just going to want to, but it's really secondary. It's going to be more likely, in fact, I'm going to change this to a one, it's going to be more likely that it actually stays in here. This is a more likely scenario. And why? Because of that support. Now, once you get a break... If the break happens towards the upside, you want to be running it. You want to be running it and running it hard. It, once there's a break on the 5,000 level and it's a big break, we are in new territory. And what's the next level? Probably 5,100. It's not going to be 50-50. Um, but it, it's going to come knocking. Think of a hammer trying to break through a wall. It's like how many times has it tested that level? Well, one day, two days, and it really didn't test it uh, within the last day. So two days it knocked. If it knocks again, there's probably going to be significant uh, resistance. And the more time that goes on before it knocks again, it's like a, I would call it like an organic wall. It's a wall that somehow is an organism and it like repairs itself over time. And so think of these support and resistance levels as like an organism that has healing power. And the less time between the knocks, the easier it is to break through. But if you give it time, it starts to heal and patch itself up. And then you kind of, you're kind of 
working through what you've already worked through. Uh, but that's how I would set up this analogy. But right now, going into Friday morning, a sell-off looks really uh, appetizing. And the reason is the risk. There's just so little risk. You'd put your tight stop right here, lose hardly anything with a potential gain of probably a four, five, six to one ratio uh, on your profit going to the short side. So all you need is, you know, a, a coin toss bad news day and your risk to reward ratio is going to far outpace uh, outpace the risk or opportunity of a bad or a good day uh, coming tomorrow. So that pretty much wraps up our segment here. That gives us everything. I hope you guys ni- you like the new uh, segues. I'm going to tighten that up a little bit. We might have some new visuals or audio around that. Uh, but this is getting a lot more fun for me, and we'll continue to do this. We're, we, I've got some other segments, too, that we're going to mix in from week to week. And, uh, yeah, look forward to having you guys here uh, same time, same place next week because this is the place where you get real data and lots of it And I'm going to do the best job I can to make it fun and entertaining while you're consuming it. So see you next time on the Market Pulse podcast. And uh, you guys have a great week next week. Thank you. 